worship choir, thank you all so much. Friends, my name is Adam, if we haven't met, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. I want to begin our time together this morning by dusting off uh, a cultural phenomenon uh, from a time in my youth. And I can say pretty confidently that this is the only Beanie Baby sermon illustration we got in America today. I want to talk to you about Beanie Babies. A month ago, I watched this documentary called Beanie Mania. Beanie Mania. And I lived through this craze. And yes, even owned a few Beanie Babies myself. So if you're not familiar with them, let's see here. I've picked a different one to feature every service here. This is Happy, Happy the Hippo. And these were, these were little $6 kind of collectible uh, gift shop things and just became a craze. Between 1996 and 1997, Beanie Baby sales went up 1,000%. By 1998, sales were $1.3 billion. It was just a huge industry. People were obsessed with them. And this documentary, Beanie Mania, really focuses on a small group of parents, uh, mostly moms from the Chicago suburbs, and how they sort of started this, this giant craze. By 1997, the secondary market, so you bought one of these and then through, what were they called? Classified ads in the paper, remember those? <laughs> or like early, early eBay, people were making 500% on their beanie babies. So it was a whole industry. And these parents would get so obsessed with them, they began calling gift shops around the country. And some of us can't remember a time when it cost you money to call someplace far away. One of the parents on this documentary, I mean, I was just, my jaw was just on the ground. They said that their phone bill one month from calling all these Beanie Baby stores was $2,000. <laughs> so when I say these people were obsessed, we're not talking just a little bit, a bunch. So this is Mary Beth Sabaluski. Think of her as like an early influencer, right? She produced multiple issues of Mary Beth's Beanie World. So there were magazines devoted to these things. And, and she's part of these group of Chicago suburban parents who propelled Beanie Babies into the cultural zeitgeist. And in the documentary, she said this, the collector's mentality is that you can never have enough. And that's dangerous. Now, you probably don't need two guesses as to how the documentary ends. Right, where do all these Beanie Babies end up? In, in the tote, in the Rubbermaid tote, just waiting to be made into a killer sermon illustration. Right? Oh, oh, gosh. Like, where did, like, these brought children so much joy until they didn't, and they were such a hot commodity until they weren't. And, like, people literally invested in them, like, stocks or gold or silver, and where do they end up? Collecting dust, right? So this mentality... This collector's mentality of you can never have enough is what we're going to look at today. And what I hope we'll discover as we study God's word is that you can't be idle about your priorities. In this series, Less Hurry, More Margin, we're looking at the spiritual causes of our constant hurried lives. Now, we're not trying to present you with like life hacks to be more productive. We're trying to understand what's at the root of all our hurry and how can we do less of that and create more margin in our lives to pay more attention to God, to, to try and be living into the people that God has called us to be? I want us not to have a collector's mindset, but a Christian mindset to possess the mind of Christ and walk as he walked. 
as John Wesley would say, the founder of Methodism. Last week, Pastor Mitch talked about noise and uh, how we can pay attention to the still voice of God and all the things that distract us from that. This week, we're going to talk about how money, uh, stuff, and things uh, can be a problem for us, how they can be an idol. Biggie Small said, mo money, mo problems. And a long time before that, Jesus warned us about the danger of the collector's mindset of you can never have enough. More, more, more. So if you find talking about money uncouth, then I'm afraid a significant portion of Jesus' teachings are going to be hard for you. So buckle up. In Luke 12, Jesus is teaching to the crowds that he would attract. And uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Luke. This is one of the four gospels. That's a word that means good news. And so the gospel of Luke is the good news. It's a biography of Jesus' life and teachings and his death and resurrection. And like he typically is, Jesus is open to interruption. So he's teaching to the crowds that, that mobbed him when someone has a call out. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this person apparently knows enough about Jesus to think of him as a person of fair spirit who could make a decision in, in a dispute such as this around an inheritance. Now elsewhere in the Bible, it says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I'm trying to emphasize those, some of those words because a lot of times this gets twisted and they'll say, people say, well, money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what it says. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And one of those evils is the way that money causes dissension. You, know, you have a family arguing over the inheritance. This is heartbreaking when, when families are split or divided or fighting about what to do with an inheritance or an estate. That's, that's no way to honor the person you've just lost. Some of you may have gone through some of this. I, I imagine it's terrible and heartbreaking. Money is one of the leading causes of divorce, second only to adultery. And so no wonder we don't like talking about money because they seem to be fighting words. And so Jesus responds to this impromptu request. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I'm a type of person, let's leave this up here for, for a moment, Gary. I'm the type of person who puts like eight exclamation marks in every email just to seem friendly. Anybody else do that? You know, it's like, whoa, cool it on the exclamation. Like, am I yelling at this person the whole time? No, you want to just seem friendly. There's not a lot of exclamation marks in the Bible. And so when we read this, I feel like we're doing it a disservice if we simply say, Jesus said, watch out. Man, he, watch out! Like, this, this is a big deal. Watch out, be on your guard. Jesus is not mincing words. And if you're from a certain generation or grew up in a certain type of church, this is the image of Jesus you may have been familiar with, right? This is very polite Jesus. This is not exclamation mark Jesus, <laughs> right? So we have this picture of docile Jesus and, and, and we, uh, what's the word? Like when dogs are uh, no longer wild, um, I'm drawing a blank. Domesticate, thank you, yes. We've domesticated Jesus. Does, this, does nice guy Jesus sound like the one who's essentially saying, what do I look like, Judge Judy? It's not my job to solve this for you. 
Does that seem like something this Jesus would say? I mean, he is not mincing words. And he says, watch out, be on your guard. This collector's mentality of more is not something we can just passively hope to avoid. Right, we've gotta be intentional about it. We have to be proactive. You can't be idle about your priorities. We are bombarded with messages that reinforce the insatiable desire for more all the time. Now, I've asked around a little bit, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is the case, but I do wanna say if anyone at our church works at T-Mobile, I'm super glad for you. I'm sure it's a great job, but I hate this commercial. Let's roll it. Oh, there's something I wanna ask you. Oh, um. The new iPhone 13 Pro is here with the most advanced iPhone camera ever, and I got it at T-Mobile. I thought you were going to talk about forever. This is a value that lasts forever, because when you get the new iPhone at T-Mobile, trading value is locked in. So we can always have a new iPhone? Yes. So, what do you say? Switch to T-Mobile with me? Yes. We're going to T-Mobile. Fall in love with iPhone. Get it on us now and upgrade every two years forever. Only T-Mobile. All right, let me give you, give me some highlights. This is a value that lasts forever. Will you switch to T-Mobile with me? And then the, the screen can fall in love with iPhone. The equating of a marriage proposal with loyalty to a telecarrier is so insulting. And it's ironic because these people are literally trying to pay you to switch. So don't talk about loyalty. This is forever. Oh my gosh. And then did you notice like the multiple rotating camera shots of that iPhone? Did you find yourself kind of like those aliens in Toy Story? Oh. But I did. I'm like, my phone's only got two little cameras. That's got three. Fall, I'm, I'm in love. Like, and then you've, so you've got the multiple shots on this iPhone. And then you've got like the elation of this extremely messed up couple, right? And all that is insinuating the following message. If you get this, you will be happy. You'll be happy. Now, part of the reason I hate that commercial is because they show it like 18 times every NFL game. So I hope when you see it later today, you're like, mm, we talked about that at church. But I, and you know, this might seem over the top or a little unnecessary to, 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 just, to just really tee off on this. But friends, this may go without saying, that's a lie. If you buy this, you'll be happy is a lie. And part of the reason we, we value worship is because we can come and confront the lies we get. Some people would say up to 10,000 times a day through advertising that if you just get this, you can be happy forever. It's a lie. And so it's helpful to get a reminder from Jesus. Watch out. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so to drive the point home, Jesus tells this person who asked him a question about settling an inheritance dispute, he tells him this story. And then he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, before we go off on this guy, the, the first T-Mobile exec, 
Uh, <laughs> I think it's really important to take a look in the mirror. And so I want to be totally transparent with you all because we think, well, how many barns does a person need? Well, how many chief's items does a person need? <laughs> I took a picture of all my stuff and then I realized I didn't even get it all. And then I realized I bought this yesterday. <laughs> like, I, I, I look at this picture and I still think, I'm missing a white number 15, like my man Keith. <laughs> Gotta get one for the away games. You know, but I've always strayed away from the white jerseys because I feel like the nacho cheese stains won't come out <laughs> as easy. I mean, when I look at it all together, I'm a little embarrassed. So I'm trying to put myself out there for you all. And I have another confession, okay? I got one more item to show you. I'm just full of fun today. This is my Super Bowl t-shirt that I wear with regularity, okay? This is the one that I bought as a spare and have never worn with the sticker still on it for when this one gets worn out. <laughs> well, no. Now, I didn't say this to the other services. I can get two Chiefs t-shirts because I tithe. That, oh, that was supposed to be funny. Good thing I didn't say that. But my point is this. Barn building comes in many forms. Right? So, so, so before we pile on to this guy in the story, it's important to take, take a look at ourselves. Barn building comes in many forms. Right? So part of the other reason I'm doing this publicly is so that after we, I'm doing this as a confession so that you all can hold me accountable that after we win the Super Bowl, I'll only spend $200 at Dick's Sporting Goods instead of 400 like I did last time. And that'll be progress, right? I'll have, I'll have I've made some headway. Thank you. So the problem with the guy in this story was, was his mindset, right? Theologian Tokenbo Adeyomo sums up the character of this man. He says this, he's completely self-centered, separated from God and others by his love for earthly possessions. He falsely assumes that human life can be measured and secured by wealth and regards his life and property as his own. This is a story Jesus told, and it's a, a parable he tells us to get us to, to stretch our minds, to, 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 to kind of get in the story and walk around and, and let it sink in. You know, I have to imagine that it was actually way more effort to tear down these barns and build bigger ones. I mean, think of the amount of work that took as opposed to maybe finding an alternative place for this abundance to flow. I mean, he, he really went out of his way to keep it all for himself. He didn't even consider or seem to be aware of any other options. So his mistake was his priorities. And he's confronted with that fact very plainly. We have our second exclamation mark today. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but it's not rich toward God. So in the Greek here, uh, in the original language, a fool is described as a person who lacks good judgment. Elsewhere in Psalm 14, uh, the Bible describes a fool as someone who lives without God. And so in this man's judgment in the story, all that he had was solely his. And in his mind, he had plenty of grain laid up for many years. Well, it turned out he didn't have many years left. And so in the end, all that extra grain ended up just like the Beanie Babies, not doing anybody any good because all he thought life was about was to keep acquiring more. 
Think of all the effort he put into deconstruction of his barns and building new ones. The stress over seeing that project completed. And so the pursuit of more, what it brings along with it is angst. It brings along hurry. The collector's mindset of never enough has a cost. Hurry. When we pursue more, we'll always have anxiety because there's always something else to pursue. We're never done. Jesus says as much in the very next verse. This is how he follows up this story. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? When we live with the collector's mindset, we're always pursuing acquiring things and that gets put in the place of God. This is idolatry. Instead of giving our attention, uh, our love to God, something else takes its place. We worship more instead of God. Philosopher David Foster Wallace said this, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some invaluable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Now, I like to get a little more specific than Mr. Wallace because I think this is one of the key differentiators between Christianity and other religions. See, in a religion like Buddhism, for example, one of their core tenets is that uh, life uh, is, is, we will experience suffering in life. And the way to, to lessen or to eliminate suffering is to eliminate desire. See, if you don't want anything, you can't suffer for not having it. So in Buddhism, the goal is to eliminate desire. In Christianity, the goal is not to eliminate desire, but to get our desires in the right order. You see the difference? That's a key differentiator. In verse 31, Jesus says this, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. That's right there in Luke 12. Matthew puts a finer point on it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And so really what, what this Sunday is about, what this series is about is again, not like how to make your life more productive or efficient. This is not about giving to the church. I feel really bad that I made that stupid joke a couple minutes ago. That's why I write things down. This is, this is about how we view our priorities in life and, and, and trying to heed Jesus' stern warning to watch out and be on our guard. So what does it look like to live that out? How can we order our lives and, and how can we get our desires lined up in the right priorities? Like what's the proper sequence that we can prioritize to experience less hurry, and more margin, more time to pursue the life that God desires for us. 
In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, author John Mark Comer prescribes several things all under the umbrella of simplicity. Uh, we have a Thursday night uh, book club that's, that's reading this and uh, Sarah's here. Sarah, raise your hand. If you wanna know more about this, you can find her after church. We're also doing a Tuesday night uh, live stream that's on Facebook Live. If you don't have Facebook, you're probably a healthier person, but uh, you don't have to have an account to get on that on our church's page. And then we're also putting that video, I've sent a link in the newsletter, and then we're also putting that on our podcast. So I wanna recognize that some of the irony in this is, hey, you should have more margin, but come to a Tuesday night or Thursday night book thing, right? Like, I understand. But some of this is carving out time for us to really dig into these concepts so that we, you have to invest some time in order to make time but we've tried to put these in a few different mediums so that you can kind of get them in a way that's convenient. That's the hope. So I'd, I'd love to invite you uh, to participate in either of those things. But John Mark uh, Comer kind of says that simplicity is, is kind of the antidote to some of the hurry around our stuff. And so I'll add a little bit to his list. To really live this out, the first thing I would suggest is that we sniff out the lie Again, we have to be proactively looking to identify this cultural message that more will make you happy, this collector's mindset that you can never have enough. We have to be on guard. That's what Jesus said. So we have to sniff out the lie. Watch out, be on your guard. Friends, you can't be idle about your priorities. You have to be proactive about it. We have to be looking to root out that lie because we are bombarded with it all the time. The second thing we can do is simplify. So how can the decluttering of things from your life create literal and metaphorical space? Maybe that's physical stuff. Maybe that's things in your schedule. Yeah, but I have to believe when we can simplify, especially our possessions, that there's a better way out there than building a, a bigger barn. And that, that has a lot to do with number three, which is share. Yeah, how can we live in such a way that our possessions, we don't view them as just ours. You know, I, I, I know when folks uh, expand their family and, and they have a kid, you know, there's this kind of like, oh, well, picking out stuff is fun or buying stuff for them is fun. And hopefully that doesn't last too long and they discover the joy of hand-me-downs, right? <laughs> so in my family, between Sarah's sisters and my sister and our family, we have eight kids among us. And man, some of these outfits are like on round five or six. And it's really become a point of pride for us. Like, oh, I remember that. That's great. Like, may you save yourself a lot of money and a lot of room by, by something as simple as sharing clothes among your kids. So I realize not all of us are in that life phase. Some of you are like, thank God. But, uh, you know, what's, what's that equivalent? What's that equivalent for you? Right? How can you live in such a way that you don't view your possessions as just yours? This church does an amazing job of that. We talk about it all the time, but, but not just as an institution, but for us individually. Like, I'm sure I'm not the only one who makes more barbecue than my family can eat for two days. So what's better than, than bringing some barbecue to a neighbor? I, I guess receiving it would be one thing you could say, but, but just how, how can you be a person uh, who takes and looks for opportunities to share? And finally, what I would offer you is, is to choose stories over stuff. Choose stories over stuff. Steve Jobs was one of the founders and, and chairman of Apple. 
And he wrote a biography, uh, he authorized a biography about his life in 2011. Billions of people have been touched by his vision for technology. I'm holding one right now. I mean, it's no estimation to say he has had a massive impact on the world through Apple products. Just a few weeks before his death, he said in an interview that he agreed to having this book written so that his children would know him. This is what he said. I wasn't always there for them and I wanted them to know why and to understand what I did. Now, I wanna be sensitive to a brilliant man and I'm not wanting to speak ill of the deceased. Steve Jobs was a titan in his industry, but at what cost? A few years ago, I was doing a wedding for one of my old youth group kids and uh, at the rehearsal dinner, you know, we were seeing all the slideshows going on, you know, the embarrassing pictures when they were little or when they were in high school. And I taught, Sarah and I talked to the parents of the bride and groom uh, and, and we said to them, you know, we're several milestones away from having our kids getting married. What, what advice would you give some parents that are kind of on the front end of all this? And it was really cool to see this confirmed by all the pictures they had going. They said, when our kids look back, it's the vacations and the trips we took and the time we spent together that they talk about most. Make sure you make room for that. And that just really stuck with me. So choose stories over stuff. Friends, we can't be idle about our priorities. So let's strive to ditch the collector's mentality that you can never have enough. And may we possess the mind of Christ and walk as he walked. Watch out, be on your guard. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. May you seek God's kingdom first and create the margin to experience his goodness in your life each and every day. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and this place. Um, where we can be reminded of your truth, where, that we can where we can listen for your voice over and above the thousands of commercial messages we receive every day. We couldn't even tally them up in the, in the three and a half hours we're fixing the watch this afternoon. How many things that we hear that tell us, if you just get this, you'll be happy. Here's what you need. I know you, you just need a little more. So God, help us to find our worth, not in what we accumulate, but in being your children. Help us to be people who are content with what we have and, and can live simply, who are quick to share and who pile up stories that neither moth nor rust can touch. God, help us to view every good and perfect gift as coming from you we admit that too often we're tempted to take too much pride in what we view as our own abilities of acquisition. So help us to not replace our first love, to not put some cheap substitute in your place. Help us not to fall for planned obsolescence, but to store up treasures in heaven God, help us to keep our priorities and our desires in the proper order as we seek first your kingdom 
in your righteousness. Amen.